Chapter Seven of A Queen by Ottilie Wildermuth, translated by unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther Benzaminides. Chapter Seven: Maggie's Choice. The mother was dead, and grief spread a solemn silence over the whole family. Daily duties that could not be omitted were performed more quickly and quietly than usual, and everybody moved and spoke softly. On Sunday they laid her to her rest, and said an earnest prayer over her simple grave, that the blessed Father in heaven would let them all meet once more in that more beautiful and better world. And then they went to their home. Even on Monday none of them felt like work, and the farmer, with his children and Maggie, sat together in the afternoon in the little garden, and talked to the departed of her industry and carefulness in her days of health, of her patience and suffering in her days of sickness, and of their trust that she was now in the enjoyment of rest. Suddenly one of the housemaids rushed breathless to where they were sitting, exclaiming, A coach, a most elegant coach, and just here at the door! They all left the garden and moved towards the gate, where they saw, sure enough, an elegant coach, drawn by two fine, sleek-looking horses, striving to make its way over the rough roads and drive up to the door of the farmhouse. Presently the lady that was within ordered the liveried coachman to stop, saying that she would alight and walk up to the door. It was the countess. In the great confusion into which the death of the mother had thrown everything, Maggie had allowed the last week to pass without writing to her, and she, anxious to leave the city, and thinking it impossible to go without her favorite, had determined to go herself to the farm, and learn if anything had befallen her, or, if possible, to take her back with her. When she learned the death of the good woman, she spoke very kindly and feelingly to the farmer and his family, trying to show them how mercifully the good God had dealt in sparing her to them so long and in taking her now from her sufferings. At the same time she expressed the hope that now all was over, Margaret might no longer be needed and might go with her to her home again. The farmer, after many efforts, at last found courage to address the lady. "'You see, Your Excellency,' said he, with a great deal of embarrassment, this lad, my son George here, has been deeply in love with the girl this long time, long before you knew her, Your Excellency, and, I must say it, his mother and I both so stupid as not to see how we were standing in our own light. We both felt a bit puffed up with the blessings that God had poured out on us, and thought our boy too good for a poor, destitute orphan that had nothing but a kind heart and a pair of nimble, skillful hands for her bridal portion, so we wouldn't let it be. But here, upon her deathbed, George told his mother how much he wanted her for a wife, and she had got to know her better, you see, and so, uh, though she was too forgot to speak it, she gave a silent blessing on it, and, if I must say it, well, she might, she'd have been a most heartless, ungrateful woman to have held out against it after all that Maggie had done for her and hers. Yes, Your Excellency, she learned to know before she went that the very blessing that made us so proud was just all along of what we did for Maggie when her own poor mother died. Anyhow, the mother's consent made us both very happy, and my son George and me. It just seemed to me the thing that ought to be, and so if be they do be married, I would just give up the farm to them. You see, Your Excellency, and just set down myself to rest for I need it. I've worked hard in my day. Is Margaret willing, then, to marry your son? asked the Countess. You see, Your Excellency, we have not had the courage to ask her just yet, replied the farmer. Oh, well, then, said the lady with a smile. I shall have to do it for you, I see. Tell me freely, my dear child, whether you will stay here or return with me. You know that I love you as tenderly as though I were really your mother, and I promise you, if you do stay with me, not only to take care of you while I live, but to make an ample provision for you in case anything should happen to me. George said not a word, 
for he remembered all the splendor of the countess's home. He looked sadly at Margaret and said nothing, but she did not keep him long in suspense. "'Dear lady,' said she with moistened eyes, "'God will surely bless you for all the kindness you have shown me. I love you as dearly as I could love the best mother, but do not take it amiss if I stay with George. I have loved him as long and as well as he has loved me. And besides, I must not forget that his home is a more fitting home for me than yours is.' I believe you have chosen a right, my dear noble-hearted child, and not for one moment would I set my feelings in comparison with your happiness and interests. But be assured I shall not forget to care properly for my adopted daughter. You shall not go empty-handed into your husband's house. George's brothers and sisters, who had heard all that passed, were not slow in spreading it abroad, and there was rejoicing over the whole farm. George himself was so extravagantly happy that he was on the point of expressing it in his usual boisterous way, by leaping up and shouting, Hurrah! when he recollected, just in time to save his good name, that he was in deep mourning, and that there was sorrow as well as gladness in the house. Besides, upon reflection, he concluded that turning somersets was not altogether a becoming occupation for a man who was about to be married. End of chapter 7 Recording by Esther Simonides